Welcome to episode 188 of the Design Details Podcast. I'm Bryn Jackson. And I'm Brian Levin. Today we caught up with Kathy Zhang. She's a designer at GitHub. Before that, she was at Patreon. Before that, she was at Million Eye. Before that, she was at school. Before that, she was doodling. Before she was that, a baby. She was a baby. Wow, that's a, a really spoiler-filled little tour of her life there. We had a great time catching up with Kathy. Before we get into the episode, a couple updates. Updates. First, if you missed it, we launched a new podcast on Spec last week. It's called Swift Unwrapped, hosted by JP Samard and Jesse Squires. It's doing incredibly well. Like, it's pretty exciting. And uh, the guy who created Swift, Chris Latner, retweeted it, which was awesome. Nuts. Super cool. If you're into Swift, want to get into that kind of stuff and follow along what's happening with the language, if you want to unwrap it, ooh, go to spec.fm or just search for Swift Unwrapped in any of your podcast apps. You should find it. Uh, again, that's at spec.fm. And our second update is uh, we're getting... Oh! Spectrum might be out today? Fucking millimeters away. It might be out today? From the beta launch. It's going to be out today, right? Yeah. Maybe like in a few hours from Maybe. like when this first downloads? We'll see. Yeah? Probably not because I want to go to bed at some point. That doesn't sound like a real thing. I know. Spectrum, if you haven't been following along, is a replacement for our Slack team. Uh, we've been working on it for a little while as our Slack team is about to hit the free plan limits. Uh, over 8,000 people are getting close to 8,000 people. Well, we can't upload anything anymore. So that's yep. one of the limits. You can't upload stuff. Uh, so this has been a problem for us. So we're just making an alternative so that designers and developers can come hang out, chat, connect, meet each other, uh, and talk about what's going on in the industry. So it's called Spectrum. We've been working on it for a little over a month. And we'll be... We ship in it. We ship in it soon. If you want to check out the beta, you can join our Slack team in the meantime. That's at spec.fm slash Slack. Join the Spectrum channel. You can see some of our screenshots and such. But that room, that channel, is where we will be opening up beta invites. If you want to be the first to know, go in there. That's at spec.fm slash Slack. There's already like 250 people in there. This is a good beta list. I'm very excited. Join the Spectrum channel and we'll see you in there. With that, let's get to episode 188 with Kathy Zhang. Well, I my name's Kathy Zhang, and I am a product designer. And currently I work at GitHub. Previously I was at Patreon. And before that I was at this little tiny company in Pleasanton called Millionai. Um, I started off not really knowing that I wanted to do design. I always loved the creative field. I spent my whole life doodling to really no point. <laughs> but um, I went to Berkeley to study molecular toxicology because huh. I thought I was going to change the world. It was the first field where I thought, this is how I can impact a whole community of people and do something really positive that's really beyond myself. And uh, so I went to do that and figured out in my senior year, that's not what I wanted to do. It wasn't a little late. <laughs> it was late. And... I wasn't, you know, I was in that crisis that a lot of people hit in college where I felt like I wasted a bunch of time. I had no real life skills. Mm-hmm. Um, I need to figure it out. And I probably will have to take my life as it is and take responsibility for not having worked uh, hard towards an actual goal. Um, <laughs> and yeah, that's not the best place to be. Yeah. And in my senior year, I, I decided and I fully uh, committed to the path of design. I thought, you know, I've always enjoyed um, web design. I really geeked out about 
all experiences on the web when I was in high school, middle school. This is what I want to do. And it was the first time in my life where I worked hard for anything, I think. And I was very lucky. I was very lucky that um, this conviction paid off and somebody took a chance on me in my first job at Millie and I and helped me grow. And here I am today. Okay. That's, that's a short intro into me as a designer, I guess. Okay. I want to backtrack and fill in a few gaps. Sure. Where are you originally from? Uh, oh, sorry. I am from Cupertino, California. Okay. Right. Born and raised? No, I was born in New Jersey. And <gasps> I don't know the specific timeline, but um, I was in Canada and Arizona and oh, wow. spent age three to seven in China before I ended up back in California. Gotcha. So a lot of movement before I was seven. But ever since then, Cupertino. And while you're growing up, doodling was the creative thing. Mm, yeah, I had this cousin that I really looked up to. And he spent a lot of time with me as a kid when I was in China. I was only there with my grandparents. So there was a lot of freedom and um, being around just my cousins who were significantly older than me at that age. I was three or four and they were eight years older than me. And because this cousin was the one who spent the most time with me, I wanted to be like him mm -hmm. and something that he was always doing was drawing. So we would draw together. And when I came back to the States, um, spending a lot of time on my own, uh, I would spend it all watching television and drawing in front of the television. My dad would provide me stacks of uh, scratch paper, uh -huh. just blank on one side and a pen. And I would just go through drawing whatever I saw on TV. And this ended up being... Sailor Moon for a period of time, and then Pokemon. Ah. And Pokemon became the most consistent topic of my doodles for many, many, many years. I can get behind that. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Even in my college notes, you'll see Caterpies and whatever in the side, and that's probably why. This molecular toxicology, <laughs> though. Shouldn't have been like Grimer and Muck. It was yeah. my insectology class. That's, uh, that's not even a word. <laughs> I don't even know topic. the word anymore. <laughs> What is that word again? Um, you know, I don't know. The I, only reason I know it is because the guy was it in CSI. Fuck, what's it Entomology? Called? Yeah. Is that it? Entom Entomology. I some think. people we'll listening to, to this are yelling at us right now. I know, now. some people will be Googling and... <laughs> well, I know it's not etymology. <laughs> right. I think it's Ento. I'll take it. What's the, <laughs> best, enough. What's the best Pokemon to draw? The favorite to draw? The one nope, I draw... nope. The best to draw. Yeah, which one is the best? Which Pokemon is best Pokemon? That's that's two different questions. <laughs> the one that I draw okay. the most is Bulbasaur huh. because it was my favorite for a while. Uh -huh. And the best, I feel like it's a dumb question. You, it, it, That question Thanks. requires context. Thanks for saying we ask dumb questions. You could say favorite. My favorite. I mean, I, I purposely asked a like ridiculous question, <laughs> right? Like, did you ever watch The Office? Like, what kind of bear is best? Yeah. Huh? False black bear. <laughs> um, my favorite Pokemon is definitely. Oh, never mind. Doesn't I sound definitely. I, yeah, I, yeah, I was. I was too late to take that this word is back. High stakes. High stakes podcasting. Okay. Arcanine? Arcanine? I love oh, Arcanine. That's a badass one. It's it. very timeless mm -hmm. Pokemon. Very mm -hmm. classic. And it's in the intro to all the shows. Roaring mm. in, yeah. Yeah. Roaring and nining and <laughs> But you know they doing, gave it they gave it to Gary. 
they gave it to Gary, so I don't feel that it got the platform it deserved. Stupid Gary. <laughs> they made Gary so obnoxious in the show. Yeah. And that's not the way you should p- portray a rival or even a villain. Um, they shouldn't give him a real name like Blue. Mm. <laughs> oh, I love Pokemon Adventure. What? The comic. Oh. Interesting. Wow. Did you just beat Bryn? Oh, I don't know. Actually, the first time I saw Bryn, he was on stage for a Star Wars trivia. Ah, <laughs> where he yes. won. He won the he, trivia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Should I go get my lightsaber? I have a lightsaber now. <laughs> uh, I, yeah, I saw him claim the lightsaber. and Yeah, tr- it's rare for me to see someone, you know, uh, intellectually spar at this level with Bryn <laughs> when it comes to Pokemon. <laughs> Intellectual. Uh, and yeah. and like Star, War- Star Wars, it has not happened yet as far as i know yeah i'm i don't know i'm i'm not super deep in pokemon actually like obviously uh-huh. given i skipped a couple generations and i'm not deep in the meta game or even Yo, the television like the Hoenn anymore. region that doesn't count oh well then i've probably watched the majority of the television shows the only thing that i cannot speak to is the trading card game and uh there's too many comics out there to really keep up there's so many interpretations. Why are you laughing? <laughs> no, I'm really excited. This <laughs> I get really nerdy about Pokemon, but it's not that I know so much about it. It's just something I'm really excited about. Yeah. Why do you think that is? I mean, there's for me, there's the nostalgia aspect. Mm. I liked that it was not plausible, but it's like <laughs> they're they're in this fantasy world, they're just animals. And then I look at the animals that exist today and there's also kind of badass Brian, like, they're also Brian, animals what, yeah. what type of Pokemon would Taco be oh man what type yeah oh. dark mm. a dark type <laughs> but yeah. he's so needy because he's so evil a dark and fairy <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that exists right now enter, well, enter well, taco <laughs> fairy beats dark right uh yes obviously the typing would be that'd be rough uh the typing would be okay seems counterproductive Mm. Well, have you met Taco? <laughs> Fair point. <laughs> um, your question. Yeah, why? Like, why this? Why is it an inspiring thing? I think it's the first thing that I encountered in my life that I can conceivably remember right now that made me really imagine a world beyond the one that I can perceive tangibly. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, I spent so much time drawing Pokemon, and that wasn't just me copying art or tracing art or imitating what I saw on TV, but it was me imagining how they fit into a story. Mm-hmm. So this is something that I don't say often and I don't um, I don't divulge this, but when I was young, I would talk to myself while I was drawing and narrate stories. Yeah, yeah. So I think that to me, Pokemon was just a way for me to connect to my imagination, my creativity, and being able to see something more than what I could visually see. And I think it's hard for me to say if Pokemon didn't exist, I don't know if I would be exist. as creative. Yeah. Yeah. How, link me from this stage of your life where you're drawing and this imagination is going crazy to wanting to study, study molecular toxicology mm. not that that's not a creative field mm. i have no idea about the field she's like team rocket a lot but yeah it, <laughs> it's it, just that it's so different it feels like a, a jump in in how you became who you are so what happened there the answer is simple <laughs> most people don't know what they're gonna do when they grow up and i uh-huh. didn't take this 
pre-existing passion <laughs> that I had <laughs> and think that it might become something more. And, you know, frankly, today, my pension for drawing didn't really evolve into something that's related. I wouldn't say that design and um, drawing for me were the same thing at all. Um, by the time I was in my last year in high school, I went to the science and math camp and my cluster was led by a, a PhD in molecular toxicology. And he was doing work in Bangladesh where he was um, treating the water there. The water there is all affected by a particular isotope of arsenic where upon drinking it after a decade or 15 years, you would start seeing mutations. And this problem is, was very difficult to solve because all the water came from contaminated sources. So hearing this and hearing how he was able to use science and apply it in a way that I had never heard of before at that age, right? I had only heard of medicine as, mm -hmm. or f uh, pharmaceutics as a conceivable path forward in science. Um, I thought that would have been an awesome thing to devote myself to. And molecular toxicology is also not a very common major to see in the drop down when you're applying to colleges. So at... Some colleges where it was available, I marked it. And at other colleges where it was not available, I marked uh, chemical engineering, mm -hmm. which I thought in my mind were was the closest thing. Um, and it happened that I got into a college that offered it as an actual major. So that's how it happened. And in college, you start off by um, part, uh, taking courses that test your fundamental knowledge in science, right? Biology, chemistry, physics, some maths, and then some other filler courses. So you don't really get to the applications of toxicology until much later in college, like mm -hmm. your second semester junior year, or for me, it was uh, senior year where I started taking um, courses that pertain to toxicology and lab environments where you actually get to... Um, study with a professor who is solving those problems mm -hmm. during his tenure or her tenure. But by that time I knew I had I had taken a a period of time to work with a GSI, a graduate student instructor who was doing research and I found myself not enjoying the repetition, not enjoying this um this path. And I couldn't imagine myself doing it every day. And I thought that the most important thing for me was to be happy and to go wake up every day and feel that what I'm doing is the right thing for me. And I think I took a kind of a selfish leap at that point to say, I want to do something that I feel like I can devote 100% of my energy to. And at that point, it was web design. Hmm. You mentioned earlier that the original reason you were interested in molecular toxicology or one of the intended goals was to have an impact on something bigger than yourself. Yeah. Did that go away when you switched to web design or did you approach web design with that same mentality of like, okay, maybe here's just a different avenue to that end, right? Sure. Um, I definitely had a very bright-eyed way of looking at design. Uh, you know that common and very brutal f and frustrating debate that people sometimes have in the design community about uh -oh. can design change the world? Uh-huh, yeah. Um, I thought full-heartedly, yes, it can. And I was going to create really positive experiences, um, think about people, have a lot of empathy. and My a buttons will make people so happy. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, thought, I thought that 
it would change the way people are able to perceive their lives. Because um, for me, design, I thought, saved me from this feeling of um, list- listlessness. I, you know, wasn't motivated. I wasn't putting 100% of myself in anything. And I wanted to work on things that got people out of that. And I think that um, I still look to design today as having the potential to impact people in a very positive manner to solve existing problems, but also solve things that don't exist yet. And it also is something that I'm afraid of, of not ever achieving. Like, I think where I work right now, I'm working on something that I really believe in. And same goes for Patreon, where I worked last. Um, Right now I'm at GitHub. Um, But I still have this fear of like, what if I never build up my ability to the point where I know I'm contributing hugely to something that I really believe in. And I think I want to be able to look back on my body of work and not only see work that makes me happy and were just experiments and spurts of creativity that I had, but moments where I decided to not be selfish and not build things that I purely enjoy, but uh, things that I worked on in order to bring good impact to others. Mm. Had, is this mentality something that's evolved over time or you had that when you switched into to design? I think... It, th- it sounds like evolved thinking of... E- like there's potential here. Mm. I think that the more I'm able to see, the more passionate about this and maybe the more scared about it I'll become. Um, I feel like as I'm learning and growing, I'm definitely getting closer to getting to that point of feeling that I'm truly contributing to something great and something that I can believe in. But there's also this, there's also experiences where you are working on a mission that you 100% um, commit yourself to and you might fail. I think that Mm -hmm. it's quite easy to look back on past experiences and know how you failed because you weren't ready or you made poor choices or it wasn't the right time, a variety of things. And everyone experiences this in their career. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think it'll definitely evolve. But I have this childhood, uh, I hope I don't lose this childlike way of looking at um, that dream of creating positive impact. Um, Do you feel like you are losing it? No. Okay. Okay. Good. <laughs> I hope I'm not. I don't think I am. I think it's, although it's important to remember to reflect and think about how am I moving towards that. Yeah. Are you fe- fearful of failure? Um, I think I was in my second year as a designer, definitely. But now that I have gone through that experience, I know what it is like and I know that you just have to keep going forward. You had to get through the first the yeah. first one. Because yeah. you believe in yourself so much, <laughs> especially when you first make it out. Yeah. And there's always the fear of um am I being the best I can be? Am I improving? You start realizing that you're not that great. You meet all these other people who mm-hmm. are so much further along <laughs> and producing such great yeah. shit. <laughs> and uh the faster you realize that, the better, because you know you shouldn't have 
you shouldn't put yourself on such a place where all you can go is down. Yeah. Um, I I want to always be looking up. So you got out of school and you went to Million Eye? Yes. How did that happen? What was that? Um, I was really lucky. <laughs> I I did not have any web. I did not have any product design work at this point. And I was still in school, started applying to internships. And um, my portfolio at the time consisted of mm, some logo work. And I had gone through 99designs, <laughs> looking through client briefs and producing <laughs> yeah. uh, producing assets. And I applied to- Oh, God. <laughs> I remember those days. <laughs> yeah. So I found this Craigslist post <laughs> yeah. of somebody who was looking for an intern. And- they were based in Pleasanton and I applied and I got an interview that that itself I thought was amazing now looking back. And when I met who was to become my boss, um, he liked the way I spoke about how badly I wanted to um, be in design and how much I felt that I loved it. And I think he took a chance on me. I think he did because I asked him to show me the portfolios of other people who applied and I thought that he made a stupid choice. <laughs> he did. He showed you. Oh, <laughs> um, yeah. Wow. But he ended up being a really great uh, he mentor. He did make a, a bad choice, He, but he did show you the other people's portfolios. Oh, yeah, he did. Wow. Um, yeah, Brian, you jerk. No, I didn't mean to say <laughs> he did make a bad choice. No, I, he made I, a I great like, choice, clearly. <laughs> Like the fact that he would show that was really surprising to me. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Well, he, I don't know if he listens to this podcast, but uh, that's Blake. He's currently at. What's up, Blake? Yeah. He's at Netflix now. Um, super proud of him. He always supported me and he was a great mentor in that he always elevated me and let me shine and let me know what I needed to work on in order to grow and always worked with me and treated me as an equal rather than what I was at the time, which was an intern. And after two months, which was the original contract contractual agreement, um, the company ended up offering me a full-time position, which I took. So from the time that I decided to do design, I don't feel like I had any period of failure at that point because I got my portfolio together yeah, yeah, yeah. and I got this internship and I got a full-time offer. I didn't have to... Um, seek jobs through a long period i wasn't unemployed for a long period and right out of college i was i had a job so i felt you know given how hard i know it is to um even sometimes to get your second job in the in the bay area i was incredibly lucky that um blake took a chance so what was the first failure um i think my first failure was at millie and i but i didn't see it that way at the time. Um, what happened? So the product that I was working on wasn't something I believed in. Hmm. And I didn't know how to influence that or change that. I didn't know how to change mm -hmm. the mm -hmm. reality around me. And I felt so strongly that I was right. Um, so I ended up just quitting. I was just, I, <laughs> I quit. Um, so I didn't see it as a failure on my part because I I I, th I don't think I stayed long enough to see it through to get to a point where I felt that I tried very hard hmm. and then was unsuccessful. Um, you felt like you gave up? Is I didn't even one? see it that way. I felt that I was so 
convicted that things wouldn't change mm-hmm. and that it wasn't my fault. Ah. And I think because of that, I didn't see it as a failure on my part. Um, but that's hard, right? Like, yeah, what changed? Like, that actually sounds completely reasonable. It sounds re- like, but I understand what you're saying. Mm. It's, it's complex in the way you think about it yourself. But there is a point. Like, there's a certain period of time that must elapse before it's truly not possible for you to change at an individual level or something like that. Mm. And it's trying to identify that point that maybe felt mis- misaligned. Mm. Yeah, maybe I didn't reflect on it long enough to mm. understand it as failure. I was definitely frustrated and I definitely got into arguments. Um, I'm, and- I'm like keenly aware of this feeling. Like this, yeah, this yeah, is something I've done a few times. Like yeah. it's, it's really hard to say to a company you don't believe in. So what, yeah. do you, what do you do? What's the answer there? Did you quit? Um, well, I quit. But the thing was, I had the support of my mentor. So the person I respected the most understood me mm-hmm. and agreed with me. And I think in the end, because of who I was in the company, I didn't feel that it was my responsibility even to make this change. Mm. So that really lied on the shoulders of my boss and his boss. Um, and when it didn't happen, I just thought I'll go somewhere where I can make that change. Mm-hmm. And I still I still thought I was capable of influencing the com- a company at that level, um, probably because I didn't try to do so at Million. I hadn't failed in that sense. Um, so my second job came about in also a kind of lucky manner. Um, I went back to 99designs <laughs> to work home, on stuff. <laughs> home base, home base, build that portfolio. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, and I was just working on things um, based off of contests there. And I actually won a contest. It's not that that was what I was trying to do, but somehow it worked out. And that company was actually Patreon ah. under the guise of something else. So it can work. It's not all just scams. Yeah. And hmm. I feel like because I never tried to get paid through 99designs, that wasn't my goal there. I didn't view it that way. But definitely later, I, I told people how I started out. And I said, I wouldn't recommend this route <laughs> unless what you're really trying yeah. to do is collect needs from people. Um but that's how I ended up getting an offer from Patreon. And that's when I worked there. I mean, you were pretty early there, right? Yeah, I was their first designer um, hmm. and ninth or tenth employee. Crazy. How, how was it like designing something basically from nothing, right? Like and now first you have, designer generally has that yeah. responsibility. Oh and now you had the responsibility of... It is my... It yeah, is, it, it's your... It is up to where, me. Yeah, that's where I experienced <laughs> failure, but... yeah. Um, it wasn't nothing that I started with. It was a lot, actually. Um, Patreon was already proven to work. Oh, okay. And the platform was up and running. They were already, uh, you know, shortly after I joined, I think they hit $1 million in um, payouts to creators. So there was already a significant amount of users on Patreon and the core product was there. And it was pieced together um, and my job initially was just to redesign everything. And I had been designing for less than a year at that point. <laughs> so you can only imagine, uh, or maybe not, 
I don't know how <laughs> how, how talented I, you were I starting kind, out. <laughs> I kind of recall what designing it one year out looks like. Uh-huh. Um, so I didn't know, you know, I didn't have a really strong idea of what I was doing. I mean, I could redesign pages, but I wasn't getting into the core of the problems there. Mm. So I was designing very surface level uh, I was solving very surface level problems, but not really engaging in the discussion of what's really going on and how can we create opportunities and um, create value. Um, what I what I was doing felt like lower level uh, iteration. Okay. So that was my first couple months at Patreon, and the company started growing, but we were not able to hire another designer for about a year. So I was there for a year on my own. And I think um, I still believe that I was able to carry that load Mm -hmm. and to um, support all of the things that needed to happen on my own. But that really wasn't true. How did you change it? How did I change that situation? Yeah. Um, I was actively reaching out to people, um, trying trying to... be really involved in the recruiting process to get someone else to join, but it was so difficult. And that was when I learned the pains of recruiting uh-huh. and the pains of getting somebody you really respect and you really want to work with and you look up to, to join you in this situation where you're not really sure. Like, I mean, I understand it so much better now, but at that point, I just thought the mission here is so great. Mm-hmm. I think anybody who works at Patreon, most people there join for the mission alone and are willing to make that their body of work. And that, that was me too. Can we talk about recruiting as a first designer for yeah. a minute? Yeah. I think we've all been in that position. And oh my gosh. I, I think to, to a lot of people listening, especially like junior people or people trying to get into the industry, it sounds yeah. counterintuitive because there's so many people who want to get in. Yeah. What, what makes it so hard? <sighs> I think... <laughs> Oh, like, it, like there I seems so like many. a dearth of designers, mm-hmm. right? And yeah. How, what's the hard part? Uh, uh, misaligned expectations, I think. It's like... Yeah, I think for me now, I definitely get why it's so hard. When I was in that position at the time, um, first of all, we wanted to hire somebody better than me. Um, mm-hmm. Somebody who was able to take the lead and... Uh, delegate and uh, you know drive those discussions about deeper problems and be able to see the product from a higher level. So a senior product mm-hmm. kind of role. Yeah, and me as a uh, so early in my career, I didn't even know what senior meant. Yeah. Um, so that's one what do, thing. What does senior mean? <laughs> yeah. What does senior mean? And I don't think anybody at our company really knew. We uh-huh. knew we wanted somebody who was more experienced than me and we could only really measure that in terms of years or the products they've worked on. Um, but, you know, you selling it like that to somebody who is actually very experienced and can have their pick of the teams they work on mm-hmm. and the company they work at or be able to start their own business, it's not a very sexy proposition. Mm-hmm. Um, once in a while, we'll get some designers who come through and they know what Patreon's trying to achieve and they, um, they, it strikes a chord with them. Mm-hmm. And on their own, they wish to work at such a company. And those are the very lucky instances. But for the most part, it's a lot of cold outreach and uh, getting ignored. Some people um, 
uh Daniel Waldron. I re- I reached out to Daniel Waldron while I was at Patreon because I really uh, I really admired his work and he was one of the people I followed right when I started. He actually uh, had coffee with me mm-hmm. and it's it's meetings like that that made me feel like some people are really willing to spend the time to talk and chat and mm-hmm. maybe they maybe Daniel didn't know what I was trying to do but. I, oh, got, I, I tried to hire him too. <laughs> <laughs> I, I got a lot of value out of that meeting and I really respect him for taking the time to have coffee with me who, you know, I was, I didn't, I had no idea what I was doing. And um, I basically set up a bunch of meetings with people to critique my work. And that was how I met more designers at first and tried to, um, in, in, uh, to, to expand my network and hope that somebody wants to work at this company. Because I think that, through that year of trying to recruit somebody, it was clear that we weren't doing the right thing to mm-hmm. sell the, to propose to somebody really senior to come work there. Um, and now Patreon, I think their team has grown to four designers. So uh, they've come a at long some way. Point they figured it out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It all kind of just picked up all at once. Cause um, a couple months before I left, we hired another product designer. And right after I left, there were two more that came in and they were also more experienced designers. So I don't know what hmm. switched, but I think the designers that came in, all of them really subscribed to what Patreon was trying to do. And it was less so the opportunity, like, you know, at any shallow level, it was, I think that. I want to work on this mission no matter what, you know, I'll Mm -hmm. take a pay cut. I'll take the, the longer hours, whatever it is, the smaller team, the more stress I want to work on this mission. And the whole time, that's probably the type of people we were looking for because we knew we couldn't pay as well for, for a while. And uh, the team would be small. They, they would have a lot of work to do, but you know, I'm not sure how I would redo things today. I think if I were in that position again, um, I certainly know better now. So I would know what that designer would have cut out in front of them and be able to be a lot more transparent about what the challenges were and what what their, uh, what the biggest things they had to solve were going to be. It's uncanny how similar our paths were. Like, uh, I, I, first of all, I think we both ended up in San Francisco around the same time. Mm. And then I was, I guess, like the, an early designer at Buffer. And I worked on hiring for a year and a half and <laughs> had no luck. And then shortly before I left, <laughs> we hired a second designer. And then right after I left, they hired like two or three more designers. Like the the stepping stones are exactly the same. And everything you said after, I'm like the same. Like, yeah, I don't know exactly what I would have done differently in retrospect. But now going forward, like I know how to articulate things better. Well, that's I know how to talk about problems and case because Patreon has a clear like mission driven kind of ethos. Whereas Buffer is, I think, more <laughs> surface level. No, I think I think Buffer was really attractive to people for the internal mission. It's like, how can we create a company that's unlike any company that's ever been okay. created, right? That's fair. And I think people were really attracted to that experiment in the like company transparency. Building. Yeah, extreme transparency. It was really and, weird when I like met you and I knew how much you made. Yeah, yeah. Everyone, everyone knows how much everyone makes. The the world knows. Uh, which is, I don't know if that ended up working in my favor or not. Um, <laughs> but but it's a thing. 
But anyway, so slightly different angle, but it's like people were really attracted to that. Yeah, that makes sense. Cultural mission, yeah. Uh, anyways, just weird how <laughs> all the timing was the same. I, I feel like we ended up in very similar spots and then you went to a big company, I went to a big company. I don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so what happened? You you finished a Patreon. After Patreon. Um, like, what was the tipping point for you? Um, I knew I needed a different space to grow. Okay. I think that year and a half of me working alone and me starting to uh so back so so this is where i think my first hard failure set in which is i realized i wasn't able to provide what the company needed at the time and i even articulated this you know saying like you know looking back i'm not sure i was the right not that I'm sure, I'm sure I wasn't the right first hire mm-hmm. that Patreon needed to make in order to set the foundation for design to be successful and somebody who could actually build out the team and be a facilitator of design in the company. Um, and after a year and a half or even, you know, before then, I knew that uh, I wasn't growing anymore. I wasn't able to, I was growing, but at a pace that I wanted to drive more and I wasn't working alongside other designers and I wanted an opportunity where um, I was able to work hard, grow, work with, collaborate with other people and feel that I was solving the right problems. Um, So (laughs) many of, all of those things were fundamental reasons for me leaving and especially being able to feel like I was able to have focus and create value through my work and, um, you know, not just churning out work because I was the only one or there were limited resources, but that I was um, working with people to, to and we could mm-hmm. confidently say this is the right path and we're going to try to make this work and here's how we're going to measure it. Here's how we're going to iterate. Um, and that's when I started to apply to other places and, I'm very happy and I feel very lucky again to be at GitHub. How did you pick GitHub? How did GitHub pick you? So GitHub was interesting in that I didn't know much about the team before interviewing. Um, I didn't I didn't do that much research on GitHub before I interviewed. Ha. <laughs> hey, Mark, you hear that? Uh, so Connor reached out to me and... That, uh, that's a better like touch point than Mark for sure. That, that, <laughs> for sure. Oh, that blew my mind because I had been following Connor for a while in my career and Well that that was a mistake though. <laughs> what? Following Connor? Huge oh mistake. my gosh. The okay. The one column two column discussion. I hope you know we're being sarcastic. I know, I know. That team's great. Well, it, it that email blew my mind. I was like, I know this name. And I went, so that excited me. And then maybe it set the right tone for meeting the team and meeting Connor and talking <laughs> it's about- It's like Elf. I know him. I know <laughs> him. <laughs> it's weird when, okay, I'm still a young designer, even now. And at that point, a year ago, I was even younger. And I was still- That's how time works. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, harsh. Uh, I was- I. I really admired Connor's body of work and the discussions he led. So when I started interviewing there, um, I was uh, probably particularly attentive. 
um, I would say, because I felt that I had this pre-existing relationship that mm-hmm. only one of us knew about. And <laughs> so you were a stalker then? <laughs> that's that's sure. another way to put it if you follow somebody. Um, yeah. But um, GitHub. Hey, Connor. <laughs> I think GitHub's interview process was the only one that gave me it gave me um, the best sense for what it would be like to be there. Uh, meeting Connor and Mark at the same time is definitely that a cool. That is how it is like to be there. <laughs> it's a cool experience. They're inseparable. <laughs> and I felt that I felt that everyone was very genuine, and I probed around for the things that concerned me about my past work experiences, and felt that those concerns wouldn't be the same at this company. So when I got the offer, I was. I was hoping that that would be the offer that came through, and I am. I accepted it in a heartbeat. Um, I knew that that's where I wanted to work the moment I met people on my on site. Yeah. Damn. And so, how long have you been there? Um, it'll be a year this coming March, wow. end of March. Crazy. Yeah. It doesn't feel very long at all. Um, but looking at that starting point to now, I feel like so much has happened. Especially the last couple of months, man. Wait, wait, wait. What do you work on? Um, what are you working on right now? The first big project. We usually start with this. I know. No, <laughs> we're getting to this quite late. Okay. So I'm in product design at GitHub. And my first big project there was user profile redesign. Uh, and if anybody knows about GitHub Universe, that's kind of where it um, shipped to the broader audience. And I was super happy about that launch. It felt like, um, felt like, the thing I was most proud of so far in terms of um, my professional career. And currently I'm working on the problem of community. I think that's a really difficult one that I haven't yet um, grasped around to satisfaction, but I'm really excited to work on it. And it's one of the problems that has always interested me. And, you know, even at Patreon, it was something that I really love to talk about and want to drive forward. So that's appropriately vague. Can you tell me any more? Like, what do you mean by community? So, okay, well, GitHub has a big community. Huh? Where, where do they convene and where do they share? The hub. It, they that's where they work together and collaborate. Uh-huh. Yeah, Gitter. Mm. <laughs> but but where do you go to to know what's going on and notifications page, feed homepage, pull request? Do you use GitHub? <laughs> yes, issues every day. How, how often? So what? Hey, are you ever on the dashboard? No. As little as possible. Are you ever in notifications? All the time. Oh. Except they're very I confusing. I really dislike it. They're very confusing. Yeah. Notifications are hard for me. Yeah. But that's like people you're already connected to or like right. that's around your workflow. App. It's a GitHub mobile app. Oh, please, <laughs> no. I need it. No, I need no, it no. So I've been bad. using the mobile, <laughs> my life. The well, mobile I mean, website's great, <laughs> but it's it's not quite enough. So I I'm not- app notifications. Thank you. I'm not focusing on workflow- experience Uh, so because you're working on a mobile app (laughs) (laughs) i'm trying to think about how do we create a space where the discussions that don't necessarily have to do with thing you're immediately working on on github where does where does that happen Hmm. how do you connect with people like you how do you discover new things twitter yes you're building twitter no (laughs) but (laughs) but yes and i think like the fact that it happens. Let's keep saying getter. <laughs> <laughs> different things. That's a, actually a product, though. I know it, that was the joke. Got it. Um, the fact that the your community is is on GitHub, but it doesn't 
interact on GitHub, right? You learn through Twitter, you learn through Hacker News. I don't know. I just think there's something there and mm-hmm. we could provide a lot of value and a lot of opportunity there. Huh. We host all the code and discoverability is also a difficult problem. Right. You share totally. projects mm-hmm. through your social networks. That's not necessarily on GitHub. How do you how do you understand the context around something? Like what if this project is somebody's um, proudest repository? Yeah. And it's not actually yeah. even utilized that much. Right. Like I think that being able to provide context around the content on GitHub would be really mm-hmm. awesome. And um, knowing that if you create something, it has the opportunity to surface, even if you don't have a huge following, if people find it valuable, it should be represented in some way. I get the uh, the weekly update or the weekly email from GitHub, mm-hmm. and I that's actually one of the few emails I read every time for that exact reason. Mm. Is it just shows you the what the ten most popular mm-hmm. repos for that week? Yeah, and a lot of times it'll be repos from people that you've never heard it's of just before. The Max or Stoiber pop- newsletter part two, though, right? Yeah, yeah, essentially. <laughs> but uh, that's the kind of discovery stuff that I love. That yeah, you can't. I don't know. There's not a place to find that on the website itself. It's mm-hmm. like it's very hard. I mean, I think our explore experience right now is curated and static. I don't think I've ever clicked the explore tab. It's very there's an explore tab. It's frequent. <laughs> it's, it's not frequently visited. It's actually hidden in your if you're logged in. Wait, yeah, I don't know It's that hidden I... in your user dropdown. Oh, sh- um, yep, never clicked it. <laughs> yeah, like I looked at the traffic. You have it's to explore to get to explore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So. I mean, it's a twofold problem. Now we're talking about we're talking about community and also discovery, right. which they can be connected. You can have community-driven discovery, yeah. But also, how can GitHub be smarter about what it surfaces to you? Mm-hmm. What does our platform actually know about you as a developer or you as a GitHub user? Everything. Oh, <laughs> well, <laughs> it knows all the mistakes I make. <laughs> Everything includes that. <laughs> Like it should understand, you know, your skill set and what you're interested in. <laughs> None. <laughs> None <laughs> skill set. Um, Junior. What you might like to collaborate on, uh, what you yeah. might like to contribute to, uh-huh. uh, what you might need help mm-hmm. uh, collaborating on. I'm writing a on. Star Wars based <laughs> syntax called JavaScript. Uh huh. And how are you connecting? Let me pitch you on this. <laughs> how are you, are you connecting to, or are you looking for collaborators or people to, you know? No, I run solo. Okay. <laughs> Is that a joke too? Han Solo. Han Solo. <laughs> yeah. If Brynn never says something, it's probably a joke. Okay. I can There's only... a joke in there somewhere. <laughs> it just might not be a good one. Generally. <laughs> I can only tell because the face starts like smiling a little bit. <laughs> it's like, did you get it? Did you get yeah. it? Yeah. <laughs> cool. <laughs> the... <laughs> tell me a little bit about... Um... GitHub's mission, because I guess if I had to say off the top of my head, I don't know what their mission is, which is in contrast to something like Patreon, where it's a mm. mission-driven company. So yeah. what's that change, or has that been a change for you? And what is it about this company that's inspiring besides yeah. the fact that Connor works there? <laughs> I don't want that to be the, the salient. <laughs> oh, okay, okay, sorry. <laughs> I think GitHub. people know. Connor works here. <laughs> Tagline. He, I've already, Not even his last name, I've already, just Connor. I've already, just Connor. <laughs> Well, Connors. Maybe Connors. there's more than one, yeah. I've, Connors works here. <laughs> I've already recounted to him, and I, I think he's like, yeah, cool, whatever. <laughs> um, uh, mission. Um, GitHub's mission is to really connect the developer lifecycle. So you learn new skills as a developer. You use that to get into a professional career, and you um, are constantly growing, and you 
host all your code on GitHub. So you're working on your personal projects, work projects, and that cycle is always continuing. So GitHub, GitHub's mission has really focused on the developer experience and that life cycle and trying to support all aspects of it because it it is what makes the platform and the community so great. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of the business is driven by businesses and enterprise, but that's because we've provided such a great experience and been really in tune with the community and listening to what they need and their frustrations and what yeah. they want to see. Um, right before I joined GitHub, right before my interview, actually, I remember looking up um, this repository called Dear GitHub. Have you heard of it? No. It was all of these open source uh, maintainers or uh, big names in the developer uh, field that had gotten together and created this open source repository that listed all of the things that they wanted to see because GitHub hadn't changed dramatically for for a while and they wanted to feel that GitHub was listening to these concerns and these requests and these frustrations. And um, shortly after I interviewed, I asked about that that open letter, which was a repository. And I, I just felt very sound that we already were working on those concerns and tuning into the community and being developer first. Mm-hmm. Um, so... In terms of understanding the mission and thinking that it's important and that I want to work for it, that hasn't changed from going coming from Patreon to yeah, GitHub. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I definitely feel that I can see my impact so much more clearly here. Mm. Yeah, and that might just be a matter of me growing older as a designer and being able to um, perceive things better um, and being able to look at my past experiences and reflect on that and know why something didn't come to be or what I lacked at the time or what was it about the situation that just didn't line up. Um, But yeah. Has there been a particular moment of growth for you or or something that's happened where it it met one of these needs that like when you were leaving Patreon, you had these ideas in mind of what you wanted at your next place? Mm, Oh, like feeling that actually happen. Yeah, Um, Yeah, like what's been the biggest growing challenge or, or experience for you so far um biggest thing really simple but biggest thing i have noticed is learning how to communicate um being able to present my idea and tell a story mm-hmm. that's something that i think i got a lot better at during my time at get because i'm surrounded by great storytellers and i think um the one of the most important skill sets for you to have as a designer is to be able to articulate this narrative and get people to buy into it too and explain why it's important, why we're doing it, um, present the value, and then you can focus on the what. Um, previously, it was a lot of the, you know, going backwards, the what, and then the why, mm-hmm. and then the mission. <laughs> but um, I'm learning to flip that around and do it this way, in a way where people around me who didn't necessarily work on the vision hand in hand um, are able to say it back to me mm-hmm. and they really believe it and they're excited to work on it. So creating that motivation and keeping people excited and keeping myself excited something is, is something I learned. And that definitely came from just being around other great designers. So the first time I heard of you was 
in reference to my dog, weirdly. Oh, I think di- oh that's one no, way no, to no. put it. Mm. In- Diana Mounter, <laughs> a.k.a. Broccolini, mm. uh, said she had this friend who drew foxes who would love her. Yeah. That's when you tweeted and because, showed me the photo. Because Bryn's dog looks like a fox for people that I mean, don't know. That was actually a long time ago. I just never reached out because like, I was like, this is weird. Hey, <laughs> uh-huh. you might like this dog. <laughs> <laughs> Say it like that. <laughs> uh I started drawing foxes randomly. Like, they weren't really my favorite animal at the time. My favorite animal was giraffes. Um, but foxes are a lot easier to draw, and they resonate with a lot of people. I started this Tumblr where I just posted a fox every single day. I would draw one on Paper 53, put it into Illustrator, vectorize it, um, take out all of the things that went wrong, and then post it on Tumblr. And at first, it was just for me. I always drew one based on my current feelings. So they came with like a caption. It ranged from I want to eat cupcakes to I feel sad and lonely. Um, so it was just really my emotions, no matter what, you know, the amplitude of feeling was. Mm-hmm. Um, and at some point it took off. I don't know when it was because I left it behind for a while. One day I just remember looking at how many people were following that blog and it was it was 27,000 people on Tumblr, which wow. I felt like we're all teenagers. And Probably. People, people were sending me messages about can they get tattoos and can they buy things uh, with the fox printed on them. And I never really did any of that. I said, sure, you can get tattoos. And there's two or three people <laughs> I out there. I literally can't stop you. <laughs> yeah, they, they did it. They got tattoos of my fox on their body. Wow. And it felt weird... <laughs> it felt weird because it was this thing that I I wasn't taking anywhere. I think that's how a lot of casual art is, right? I don't call it art even. It's just my doodles. You know, they t- they don't take me very much time and they were connected to my feelings. And suddenly it felt like this thing that would belong to a greater mass of people. And ever since that blog started, um, you can find them at makeafox.com. Uh, I feel like that's been part of my brand like a lot of people if, if they see something that's remotely fox-esque <laughs> they'll say kathy would love that or, or or people who never talk to me will you ever get sick of that no i don't think so a lot of people call me the fox lady and i don't <laughs> i'm not obsessed with them at all it's but it's better I, than the cat lady yeah it doesn't have Ten an existing <laughs> existing Stigma. connotation to yeah. it um but that's the whole fox thing i i make stickers and mostly i buy them to give to people um but i don't sell anything yeah, it's yeah. just did it ever amount to anything more than just like personal fun or i wanted to because i had built what i thought was a platform tumblr followers are actually very low value in comparison to any other social you media heard her tumblr users <laughs> well because I don't really know. You Tumble can... her or something. I don't know what you do with Tumblr. <laughs> you reblog, dude. Yeah, you reblog and it I don't know, it's a None very of that sounds useful. <laughs> it's a very low effort action and it yeah. doesn't mean as much as a Instagram like, I think. Um Do Instagram likes we, mean something? We need to figure out the uh the conversion ratio for yeah, these yeah, social yeah. interactions. I think it's very terrible for Tumblr. One Facebook like is equivalent to two and a half Twitter hearts. Uh. No, but you, yeah, yeah, totally. Well, no, Facebook likes are guilt based. So, <laughs> um, and Twitter likes are. Why are they guilt based? Angst based. You don't want people to think you didn't like it. 
You don't want people to think but you're how would ignoring. They know you saw yeah. it. Because people like, know. All, all my friends people are liking know. this. I guess I have to like it now. Oh, okay. Okay. You're weird. That makes sense. Am I? <laughs> I only like things I like, and I only heart things I heart. You bet you heart everything. <laughs> that's my, <laughs> that that's my secret. <laughs> <laughs> Brian is with the reverse Hulk. I'm always, I'm, I'm I love, always nice. That's I, my I, secret. I, I love you're, everything. You're melting down right now. <laughs> Giggles. <sighs> Seriously though. Well, I will heart your tweets. Thanks. No hesitation. Well, not your. I wish they were stars. Mostly just anyone listening. I'll I'll heart them. Mm. Ain't nothing holding me back. <laughs> okay, I'm done with this conversation. <laughs> mm. Just generally, the whole like conversion rate thing went downhill very fast. Uh, my bad. But we we missed. No, the... it's not your fault at all. It's, <laughs> it's mostly my fault. Uh, we did miss the original answer. Though, the so question. What, um, what did you want it to turn be- into? Because of the platform I built, regardless of how meaningful that platform is, I wanted to do something more meaningful, right? Uh, and I haven't gotten around to it still because too much. Too many things going on and the foxes are my literal earliest thing. So they've definitely fallen to the wayside. But one idea I had was I wanted to take sayings from different cultures and just illustrate them in a book. Um, I felt that it was suiting for children. Um, Around the same time I was doing my foxes, I was really inspired by the little prince. I wanted to create something that I felt like people could take with them no matter what time it was in their lives and feel... um, feel like it strikes something within them something that they can subscribe to and get behind and for me it was learning different wisdoms in different cultures um but you know that hasn't materialized at all (laughs) yeah have you started no no there's still my feelings (laughs) of random things that are not that important (laughs) to anyone else okay speaking of your personal brand pifafu Oh. oh, snap, yes. I, I wanted to ask forgot. this. Okay. Okay. I can swear. What is the story? Of, yeah. of course. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so, Pifafu, you know it. Pikachu. Yes. M- many people, you'd be surprised, don't make that connection. I didn't make that connection. Mm, okay. <laughs> um, so, Pikachu. <laughs> I just got waved off for people that can't see. It's, just it's got, much more obvious when you see it. I just got told to sit down. <laughs> But well, I, you were standing up very aggressively, and it was uncalled for. I know, I know. <laughs> if you've ever watched the first couple episodes of Pokemon... Check. You know how stout Pikachu was. Mm-hmm. In the original Ken Sugimori illustration, there is much less of a neck to Pikachu's uh-huh. design. So if you take like an original TCG, it's like... Su- fat as fuck as Pikachu is so big so that's where it came from I was playing Super Smash Brothers and I wanted a handle that wasn't my name and <laughs> so, I so it's simultaneously like <laughs> I always use Pikachu in Super Smash so my handle became Pifafu and I thought it was so clever mm-hmm. I thought it was so clever and it just kind of went into all these other <laughs> things but it's been a recent change it's only been a year it's not like it's been with me for a long time and so it's it's short for Pikachu is a fat fuck? <laughs> it's Pikachu fat as fuck. Um, ah, in, in the form of Pikachu. I was, yeah, because I was saying, I kept saying Pikachu is is fat AF, you know, over and over again. And I was like, you know, it fits very well here. But it also fits like 
if he was like really fat and like had like giant cheeks. Yeah, it just sounds. <laughs> it sounds. There's so many. There's so many points where it works. It just sound. It just made sense to me. Um, felt right. Mm-hmm. And because I love Pokemon so much, I I was happy to <laughs> make my handle inspired by something and yeah, from yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah, that's all. Into it, Smash Bros. Yeah. Yeah. What, what keeps you up at night? Um. I guess I touched on it earlier, which is being afraid of looking back at my work and not feeling that I did more, um, not feeling like I did something that created the kind of impact I wanted to see. Um, so not so much about like more quantity, but like more value. Yeah, something that was more meaningful. And, and I don't yet know if, if at that point in my life when I'm looking back and filled with regret or maybe <laughs> You're just ho- assuming you will be. <laughs> hopefully not filled with regret, but would I, would I be happier seeing that I did a lot of creative work for myself or that I was able to connect what I wanted to something that meant something to a lot of people, something good mm-hmm. to a lot of people. And that's something that I, since starting design want to do um and i hope that i get there or you know i think people can be hard on themselves too so i hope that if i do it i'm able to look back on it and acknowledge that i achieved that Hmm. um but other than that i hope that i am always creating and never let that uh let that fall to the wayside many projects can come and go i've accepted that that i might not finish as much as i want to but to always make something um and to keep trying to get better at storytelling yeah that's perfect sweet it's a great end mm. thanks for coming and hanging out yeah, yeah thank so you much. so much for having me this is still <laughs> i was like so nervous <laughs> <laughs> no this is great thank you that was 188. Thank you so much to Kathy for coming and hanging out with us. Oh, this was a super fun episode. We covered everything. We covered drawing foxes. We covered being the first designer and like having a hard time hiring new designers. We decided what was the best Pokemon. We made taco a Pokemon. We learned that Brian doesn't understand Pokemon or we, Star Wars. And also we talked about JavaScript, which I was very excited about. Nice. We're just covering everything. We hope you enjoyed it. If you did, let us know your thoughts. We're on Twitter at DesignDetailsFM. Or you can leave us an iTunes rating and review. We appreciate reading those and all the feedback is super helpful to help us hopefully keep making this show better. We can try. We're trying. Brian, we should probably just start a new show and kill this one. Okay. Okay, bye. Later. Set down the mic. Click. But for real, (laughs) thanks for listening. Uh... Yep, and the show's over. Cool. Great. That, that, That was when it died. It didn't just go out. It just died. See you next week. (laughs) Thank you for cutting that all out, Sarah. No.